process is pretty simple. We open the fire hydrant and drink. Okay, before I start, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish where we're gonna finish because I'm gonna preach, and what's gonna happen is we're gonna we're gonna do some so what time because your pastors uh, wanted your pastoral team wanted they wanted something to happen, not just something to be said, right? And I'm never worried about. I'm never worried about whether something amazing can happen out of a group like this. That I mean, God never needed a crowd. He never has. He never will. He never needed a majority. He never asked for a vote. You know, hallelujah. That's almost a rabbit trail. One thank you before I one thank you before I get started. There's one other person here I recognized her last time I was. My friend Mabel Lacey is here. Mabel is uh, from over Eupora Way, and I was her pastor in 1977, 78, and following. That was my first church. Mabel and Ed were not old enough to be our parents, but they were like parents to us, and. Um, I love her. I love them. She was mama to my babies, grandmama to my babies. And, uh, we, you know, every person in the ministry needs what I call a soft place. And that was what, when Jesus needed a soft place, he went to Bethany. And... And uh, the Laceys were my first experience with a soft place for the pastor. And, of course, it didn't hurt anyone when the pastor used to go out in the front yard and run wind sprints with her boys. That's how young I was. <laughs> so I just want to honor, honor her service to the Lord and to us. Now... Jesus, help us. My whole life, I've wanted to be part of something big. My whole life, I've wanted my life to simply matter. When I was in college, we were asking the big questions. Why are we here? What is life all about? How can I have meaning and value in my life? We did not go to college asking how can we make a living. We really didn't. We went to college asking, um, can, can God use us to change the world? Actually, it was those big questions that drove me to God. And they drive me still. Now, I say big questions for this reason. People who get uh, PhDs in this world, I want, you to, I want you to hear me when I say this. I'm going to say this reverently. They, they know a whole lot about nothing. 
Let me say that a little nicer. In my field, in the field of, of, of biblical studies and theology, PhDs are people who take one little slice of something tiny and study it so they know more than anybody in the world about it, and they get letters behind their names. Very few people do the big picture. Now, I'm just talking theology because I don't really know about other fields. Very few people say, what's it all about? And in fact, if you try to do that, the, the, they will, they'll turn your thesis statement down anyway. They'll say, we don't want that. Um, they'll say, it's too much. But all my life, I've studied the Bible and said, what's the big story? And I discovered a few years ago that the way the Jewish people treated the Bible was, was telling the big story. Anytime you ask a Jewish leader, a rabbi, a question, they would tell you the history of the Bible to the point of that question. They would tell the whole story and answer the question. And you see that illustrated in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is not the faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11 is the answer to what was wrong with the Hebrew people told through the whole Bible. You see that illustrated in a passage I'll use in a few minutes when we come to Stephen, and they say to Stephen, if you listen to that guy, it'll be the end of our traditions and this place. He sounded like a, a fundamentalist panicking in the face of a bunch of progressives. And, and I need this now because I do find myself once in a while tempted to wring my hands a little bit. I find myself a little stressed out. And then I'll get under a preacher like Papa Jack who'll say, well, God's not stressed out. And I'll go, oh, yeah, I forgot. Because I did. Now, New Horizons, you guys are, are just a little bit younger than, than New Life City is. And by the way, my church is called New Life City. It's not New Life City Church. There's no church in our name. City is a synonym for church in our world. And church is the people, not the building. And I don't want to put a sign on the wall that says church and people get confused that they're going to the church when they are the church because they got to go out in the service. It's the same principle. It's the same principle. Uh, and, and city says what I want to get at tonight. The Bible ends with a city coming down out of heaven prepared by God. A city with a very interesting distinction, a city that has no temple. A churchless society. Everybody said, hallelujah, like this guy. Now, that's where we're going tonight. New Horizons. When I met this guy and heard his vision, I said, man, he must own Starkville. <laughs> I'm telling you what, I thought he was the sweet prince of the city for sure. 
This is the story of a man who's had nothing but the world in his heart from the day he t- Christ touched him. Who's burned with nothing but the nations in his heart. And God reached out and got him in the nations and plucked him up and brought him back home. And I hate to tell you this, but he's been complaining about it ever since. And you say, why are we here? We are here to get the ache out of his tooth. We have come here to extract a pain. Papa Jack talking about pain. We have, because he has a promise in his heart that God said, if you'll do what I'll tell you to do, I'll do what I've told you to do. And it's burning in him. It's burning in him. It's burning in him so much that he has a hard time making peace with the word church. See, I don't call myself church, but I love the church. He calls his church church and has trouble with church. He's so kingdomized that he thinks the church is a lobotomy of the, ch- of the kingdom. And I'm the guy that's here to say to him, no, no, no. Church is how God does kingdom in the world in this age. Church is how God manifests his glory. Now, a prophet came to my house and she stood up and said, Preacher, you didn't come this far to come this far. I want you to know something. When you get our age, I'm sorry, Papa Jack. I don't know what it's like over there. When when you get our age, you say, did I come this far to just come this far? But But we know the answer to that is no. New Horizons, you didn't come this far to come this far. Your pastor has something inside of him trying to be given birth. He doesn't know how to do it, even how to articulate it, even how to say it. He just began to meditate in Ezekiel, and Ezekiel exploded inside of him, and he began to articulate it, and some of us caught it. I don't know if you know it, but Ezekiel ends with a temple, and a temple that, I'm sorry, wouldn't fit in here. The problem is, some people think, well, i got a piece of land it'll fit on. No, you don't. Ezekiel saw a temple that wouldn't fit anywhere. Because his temple is as big as God. Ezekiel's temple is a picture of God's dominion writ large for us. And our problem is we start making blueprints because we say, I think we could build that because we're going we're to help God. And God says, just breathe. So what I have to say to your pastor is, take a breath. What I have to say to y'all is, open your eyes. Because he's trying to get us to see something that he sees 
It's, it's got him on fire. It's got him in pain. Josiah sees it. And Josiah's a good enough son. He said, Noah, give me a hammer. We got, we got more sons than he had. We can, get, we can knock this out. Y'all don't have a camera, do you? So, so I'm not making anybody sick. At my house, they say, you are making us drunk. And it's not the Holy Ghost. All right. What was God doing when he made creation? Whether you know it or not, when God created, he was designing a temple. The ancients would understand that the six-fold designation of the building construction of Genesis was a temple was being built. The, the ancients would also understand that in a temple, inside the temple, you put an icon. That icon is the, is the representation of the God you are serving. There is a God image bearer in the temple. Eden was the temple of the living God. And Adam, male and female, was the image of the living God in the temple of God. Because, because a temple is the place where heaven and earth come together. Your pilgrimage is over when you get to the temple because you're at God's house. God lives there. And when you're in the manifest presence of God and the glory of God is there, you have come to your destination Heaven has come to earth and you are experiencing the fullness in yourself of... Are you getting this? Your church has a value that is a value that is a transformational value. Your church has a value for the presence of God. It's, you see, you don't have, you, your value is not worship. Your value is Him. If your value is worship, you'll do what the first two worshipers in the Bible did. You will kill each other. Can we talk? Whew. I might break the schedule tonight, but it won't be the 9 o'clock barrier, so don't worry. Can we, can we begin with the premise? By the way, let me just tell you something that I give you permission to do. Disagree. My fellowship with you is not based on your agreement with everything I say. It's based on Jesus and our like precious faith in him. It's the fact that we have been apprehended by him and we're spending our whole life <coughs> trying to apprehend that for which we've been apprehended. I spend my whole life, I got one object, one just one object. I want to know him, I want to know him, I want to know him. I don't understand him, and I keep trying to understand him. And he says, I don't want you to understand me, I want you to know me. And to know me is not to understand me. I'm married to a woman that I've been with for 44 years. I got no understanding of her at all, but I know her pretty well. Somebody, somebody ask about apologetics. Apologetics is this. 
I like what I've heard all my life or what I've heard in recent years that a man with an encounter is not at the mercy of a man with an argument. My apologetics is that I know him. And when people come to me all the time, you're a good man. When people come to me all the time, they're saying, can you prove God exists? I say, I am the proof that God exists. I am. I am. I learned that from Lester Roloff about a thousand years ago. Anybody remember Lester Roloff and his school for girls? He said he would take Madeline Murray O'Hare and chain her to himself. And he would drag her around with him all day long. And by the end of the day, she would have to say, what made this happen? And he would have to say, it's God. <laughs> That's not an endorsement of Lester. I never knew him. I just loved listening to that old crazy man. Even though I was a Baptist at the time and it was illegal to listen to that guy. He was more Baptist than I was. God created a temple and he put a king priest in the temple. Adam was God's king. He had dominion. He had the dominion mandate. I'm going to give you something about the end of my sermon from the beginning because I don't want you to miss this as we go through. When we come to the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus, now risen from the dead, comes and stands before his disciples as I'm standing before you. And he says, oh, by the way, all authority has been given to me. Adam, I give you dominion. Jesus comes and says, I have it. Do you remember the enemy offered it to him and he wouldn't take it from the dude? He wouldn't take it from the serpent. He wouldn't take from the serpent what he came to take from the serpent. He came and he said, all dominion. So listen to me. Stop worrying about Democrats, Republicans, progressives, and libertarians. They don't have any dominion whatsoever. And stop worshiping at their altars. I tell my church all the time, every political system that has ever lived on the face of the earth is a salvation narrative. Because all of them want, in some degree, for the problems that are in the world to be abated and dealt with. But you and I live inside of the salvation narrative that came down from heaven with a dominion mandate with one who came and said to him, I'm giving you all authority. And when it was forfeit, then there was a problem. People ask me all the time, said, can you explain the problem of evil in the world? I say, no, I can explain the destiny of evil in the world. If all your questions are why, let me tell you something. You won't be able to worship at the altar of science any more than you will at the altar of religion because they don't know either. And I'm tired of science being a problem for those of us with religious faith. And by the way, I use religious in the best 
form of the word. The word religion is not a bad term, but Christians have come to hate the word religion. But it's actually a pretty good term. And I love what the Jewish rabbi, who used to be the head of the rabbis in England, uh, tried to explain when he said, science exists to, to tell how the world works. Religion exists to say what it means. And if you understand that, you never have a moment of being an enemy, one with the other. You are not, you are not subject to it. And the enemy of Christianity is not science, it's scientism. It's the worship of science. It's the belief that science has all the answers I hate to tell you, but next week they're going to come out with a study that shows you that the answer that they gave you last week was wrong. Can we talk? It's the isms that get us. It's magnifying something. But let's come back to our narrative and hallelujah. I know I'm supposed to give you a break, but I ain't going to till I'm ready. Because I'm going to get this set. Because I want you to see what happens. There was a temple created. And when the man was cast out of the garden, he was out of the presence of God. He was therefore out of the temple. When he was cast out of the temple, a lot of people have made a mistake about it. And they've said that God put cherubim to hide the, to hide the way to it. No, that's not what the text says. He put cherubim there the guard, to guard the way to it. That's what it says. To keep the way. Now what's that about? Because listen to me. God has never been about hiding from us. He has always been about us accessing him. And him telling us how to do it. And showing us how to get home. God keeps the light on. God is always eager for his servants. His children. To find their way home. I believe, and I can't prove it, but I believe that when, that when Cain and Abel, it says, it says uh, uh, by and by they worshiped the Lord, but I think, the, I think what it actually says there is at the appointed time they came to worship the Lord. And when they came to worship the Lord, I want you to know, says, it says they brought their sacrifices to the Lord. Now, how do you do that if you don't know where he is? So they brought to him. I think, I personally think, that they went to Eden's gate. It's pure speculation. You, you get to check out. You just don't get to sign off yet. It's pure speculation. Because I believe that, I believe that, the, the, that Eden, what it was ultimately, was a temple. And that God's desire has always been... For man to rule and reign in his temple, meeting in the realm where heaven and earth are one. And I think before I'm done, I'm going to show you that he made that manifest true and that it's true right now today. Uh, he's always asking about, he's asking about how many times... One of, the, one of the questions I asked my church one time was, do you know how many times the word heaven 
is used in the Bible. Well, it's hundreds and hundreds of times. Hundreds and hundreds of times. And not one time in the Bible does it say, go to heaven when you die. Seemed like we could find one. A young man in my church got all mad at me and he showed me the passages where, where, where Jesus went up into the heavens and where, and where Ezekiel and his old chariot went up into the heavens. I'm like, eh, that don't pass. <laughs> that don't pass. And that, meant up, that means we saw this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say go to heaven when you die. In fact, the phrase, go to heaven, is not in the Bible. Man, that just ruined every evangelism plan that was ever written. When you started talking about the kingdom of God within you, find the kingdom of God in them, you were closer than they were. We are hardwired for him. We are absolutely hardwired for God. This is the vessel for the oil. This is where the light finds its place to, to land. This is where the holy presence was meant to be. Hallelujah. They're going to say, We heard a man, he was crazy. <laughs> But he was a former Baptist and had long hair, so we were suspicious when he showed up. <laughs> well, let me just point something out. So I tell people, the whole story of the Bible, it's one story. The Bible's one story. You've got to get the big story. It can be told a lot of ways. One of the ways you tell the big story is tell the big story by the the temple and the fact that that's, that, that that's where the presence of God is and that's our home and we got to get home. And we don't know how to get home. Do you know that if you, if you, if you study stories, uh, it's amazing how many human stories are salvation narratives. They're stories about the rise of a great leader. They're stories about a journey to go home. They're stories about good versus evil. All the stories of mankind, all the best stories are salvation narratives. We're telling God's story. Man is telling God's story. And I'm telling you that, 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 that yes, I will agree that we are designed for worship. We are indeed. But it's God, not the worship that we're to be about. Uh, this is Saturday in the South, the high holy day. Listen, do you, you do understand that everything in America about sports points to the living God. We are always looking for someone to whom to give our praise and adoration. Turn on any sports talk show any day of the week and they'll be using the word goat. The greatest of all time. And they'll be arguing over who's the greatest of all time. They'll be arguing over who deserves the highest praise. Everything we do all the time is trying to fill the thing with... I go to movies once in a while, and I sit in a movie, and you know how... I like it when you sit in a movie and nobody's leaving when the thing is over with. 
Everybody. And then nobody will look at each other when they're going out. It's like being in an elevator. You know what's happening to you? They're having a moment. A moment of almost transcendence. It's the same thing that happens to me every minute I want it. My friend Bill Johnson used to say, turn your affections on God. And I would be like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I want to know what that means. Now I know. Now I can. I, I actually am audacious. I believe I can look at a man and say, do you want the presence of God? Do you want the presence of God? Give me your hand. I bless you. I bless you to have what you want. Because he loves you. What's happening to you? I'm not anything. When I'm with groups of people who just love the presence of God, love, love, love the presence of God, I can say, well, let's just step in. Let's just taste and see. It doesn't happen when I'm noisy near as much as when I'm quiet. I like you. Listen, I I want you to know something ahead of time. I know I'm bodacious and arrogant and loud and annoying. (laughs) But I was told one one time, they did one of those profiles on me. They said, you have the profile of a reformer. And I was like, man, that's cool. I'm an old Lutheran, man. I was a cradle Lutheran, Martin Luther. And he said, he said, the good news about that, he said, the good news about that is, you know, that it's very rare. He said, the bad news about that is there's not much call for those fellows. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I want it all to change. And I see right now, there's change happening. Guys, there's change happening. It's a scary change because I want you to know something. We're living in a time when people are not asking the God questions. They're making the God accusations. We're living in the time where people are not saying, how can I be right with God? But they're saying, why isn't your God right with us? So the questions have shifted. And I'm a little bit disturbed. But I have a mentor, a pastor, a father, who's been talking to me for 30, 40 years. 40 years and saying, big God. (laughs) Little man. Or like my friend Heidi Baker, who put her hand on me one day and said, said, Lord, Lord, make it small. (laughs) Make it large. (laughs) Too big, too small. 
We were made for Him. Science can't get at what we're after. Science can't measure love. They can't even measure preference. They can't figure it out. They don't know why you like vanilla and I like chocolate, which is not the truth, by the way. It's the other way. I forgot while I was telling you. (laughs) They can tell you some stuff about palpitations, but they can't tell you why I saw her when she was 13 years old and I never got over her. It can't be measured. It can't be reduced to a theory and studied. Because there's things of knowing in this world that are not subject to the scientist. And the revelation of God is one of them. I know him because he made himself known to me. And I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. Because one day, one hot Friday night after a football scrimmage, And after a season of broken hearts and broken dreams and fear and hopelessness, one guy walked around in a football stadium and cried his way to the throne of God and said, if you can do anything with me, I'm yours. And heaven opened. And to this day, I'm trying to figure it out. And and it bugs me because I think every time I should tell it, it should happen to a hundred people. And I want to say, aren't you hungry? Aren't you thirsty? You understand that's what Jesus did. If anyone is thirsty, I can give you something to drink. I saw this one, man. I saw this one. I saw when when God (laughs) touched him. I saw it when God touched him and transformed him. And he came home to me and he said, I'm going to quit track and field. I said, you love track and field. He said, I'm going to quit. And I wanted to, I wanted to argue against it. <laughs> but he quit. And God gave him something that he's never regretted getting. Because you'll never regret what you leave behind for what you gain. <laughs> Hallelujah. I ain't even got to my sermon yet. <laughs> Are you all bored yet? I'm serious. I've got something so big inside me that I want to tell you that, that if, you'll, if you'll just lean in with me, we'll get it. And then we'll just slobber our way to God. <laughs> Listen, it's worship. It's worship. It's a worshiping church that makes him beautiful, makes him magnetic. It's a worshiper that changes people's minds. People can't understand why somebody does homage to him. I used to wonder, can I tell you the truth? When I was in a religious crowd, I used to wonder why Christians don't worship. You say, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I say, they, they just sit and look. And if you do anything at all that even, even looks like you're moved at all, people get disturbed because you're somehow frightening the Holy Ghost. And I would watch other religions and I would watch the passion and the fervor they had and I would be like, what's the matter with us? And then all of a sudden, I started to run into people who God would 
just breathe on them a little bit and the power of God would do something to them and they would come unhinged and I would look at that and I would say, is that real? Every time, every time a Christian sees God touch somebody, their first question is, is it real? Because they can't wash it through the rationalisms of their mind. Don't do that. Too big. Too small. Hallelujah. Listen, our Bible comes to the point, I was just going to show you, they built temples. Do you know, first of all, when they built the tabernacle, what did they do? Is it not, is it not suggestive to us that they embroidered the cherubim on the curtain that hid the presence? Where'd that come from? They lusted for a temple. They wanted the presence of God in their midst. And then I told you last night about the building of the second temple. And I just salted the oats about tonight a little bit because I told you, guess what was not in the second temple? There was no Ark of the Covenant there. Not one word, not one record, not one wit. No Ark of the Covenant. What? What are you saying to me? A throne room without a throne? A, a, a royal court without a presence. That's what I'm saying to you. It stood there as a beacon and a symbol. And then I'll read a text to you. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen. And he poured the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your father's house will consume me. So many, so many Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And he answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. It's taken 46 years to build this place. And you'll raise it up in three days. He was speaking to them about the temple of his body, John writes for us. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scriptures that Jesus had spoken. Hallelujah, there's my water. I might need it in a minute as much as I'm sweating. And then I came across this passage in Matthew chapter 12. Hallelujah. At that time, Jesus' disciples went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. And they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. 
But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him and how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence. Which it's not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And then he said these words, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Messiah, 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 the anointed one, the one carrying the, pre the presence, the anointed one. They were looking for him, looking for him, looking for him. Of course they were. Because I want you to know there's something that people don't understand about the Jews. Simply coming back to their land was not their full restoration from exile. Because if you are in a kingdom, getting back to your homeland is not the, not the end of your exile when your enemies are still ruling. Your exile is not over until the one who's appointed as king is sitting on the throne and his dominion is in place. And this is why they ask him the question, will you restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Because they knew they were still not restored. And Jesus coyly answered them again. It's not for you to know times or seasons. And then he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is poured out on you. Do you know what a king does when he ascends to his throne? He delegates all of his authority to his servants. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit meant a king had ascended to the throne. It meant the answer to their question was not no, but yes and amen. I'm not done yet. I'm almost done. Well, this is the never-ending story. Do you remember the disciples? Just remember when they said to him, have you looked at this building, this magnificent building? And Jesus said, not one stone will be left on another. And then they asked him those questions. Jesus prophesied the end of this man-made temple without a presence. He prophesied it. He, he actually told them when. We come along a little further. And now they bring him to trial. When they put Jesus on trial... They said, well, what are the charges against him? And there's only two charges that we get that were really against Jesus that made, made any sense. Number one was, he said he would destroy the temple in this place. Well, that's not what he said. But he did say, if you destroy the temple in three days, I'll build it. It's interesting to me. All three of the synoptic gospels tell us that, that they accused him of speaking against the temple. You understand that was a blasphemy. You understand that, right? 
He was speaking against the presence. Greater than the temple is here. They accused him of speaking against the presence that he carried. And so the charge was, was blaspheming God by speaking against the temple. By the way, the, the time he actually says it is recorded in John's gospel, but in the synoptics, the accusers come with the accusation. In John's gospel, the accusation is that he was the king. Are you a king? There's much to go into there, but, but for time's sake, I'll hasten myself. So understand this. They nailed him to a tree, and from the tree, one of the scorners scorned him about saying he would tear it down and build it in three days. They scorned him on the day. Jesus makes a big switch because what we don't understand that happens is that Jesus makes it very, very plain that the temple, when he arrived, the temple was no longer the place of his presence. Because the presence himself, the incarnation about this, of the Son of God is about, is about the God who came to get us. Now, how does this affect you? Where, does it, where do I come in? Where do you come in? I'm glad you asked. Preachers, their job is to fill in the, is to ask the questions they want to answer. This is, this is what you'll learn when you're preaching. Hallelujah. <laughs> Josiah, are you ready for the calling that's on you, sir? The one behind you can talk. But I, but I would say yes to you. I know you would say yes. You'd say yes. You're measuring it. I'm telling you. See? You already know. I don't have to tell you. But this, this man is going gonna, is gonna to walk back into the anointing that's always been on his life. Because you, you and people like you are going to make it possible. I already know this. This is not news. This is not being prophetic. This is just being a father and saying, yeah, I, I agree with this. Listen, I want you to know, I'm looking at this room. I'm looking at a room full of really amazing people. Incredibly amazing people. I'm telling you, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but you guys are not hard to prophesy over. <laughs> but let's, let's, let's chase this down the trail it's going. And, and, and let's chase this down the trail it's going. Jesus has pulled a switch on them. He's told them that he's basically come and said, this is not your temple. This is your temple. And I can't help but remember the words of that parable. We will not have this man to rule over us. And the death he comes to suffer, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And by the way, 
I don't have time to tell you, but it's just something. If I'm going to talk about the cross, his father did not abandon him. He quoted the first verse of a psalm, but it meant read the whole psalm. You don't understand Trinitarian theology if you believe there could come a fracture in the Father and the Son. And if you can believe, anyway, more of that later. Because I'm coming back whether you want me to or not. I'll just preach out there in the yard. Every time I talk to your pastor, he talks to me about global vision. Regional vision, global vision, every time. And every time I, he talks to me, I talk to him about church. It's the truth, man. This guy wants, this guy, this guy wants a fleet of ships and, and nets everywhere, and I just want a few fishing poles. I'm the guy that has to clean them fish, man. I, I'm like, don't make too big a mess over there. We don't have to deal with those guys once you get them. What happened? <laughs> They're trying to say, get on with this. What, what happens next is very interesting because what happens is Stephen becomes the first person martyred for his, for his faith. Why did they kill Stephen? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Hallelujah. If you have a Bible, I just might as well say you can go there with me. Go to chapter um, 7. Actually, I'm going to go back up from 7 to chapter 6 of Acts. Listen to, listen to what they said of him. In chapter 6 of Acts and 13, they set up false witnesses against him who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat at the council saw the face Saw his face was like the face of an angel. Now notice something. They have accused Stephen of the same thing that Jesus was accused of. He was going to tear down their temple. So let me just say what I said in the beginning. We didn't come this far to come this far, but my prophet said another word. She said this. If nothing changes, nothing changes. When you pray for the kingdom of God to come, I have to tell you something. You don't know what you're doing. Because anyone who prays for the kingdom of God to be manifest on earth as it is in heaven is asking God to tear down everything that militates itself against his kingdom, his power, his authority, his glory, his throne. And you may be surprised at what it is when he pulls the temple down. Because in the Bible, it says that when the prayers ascend to, the, to heaven and they fill the bowl on the altar 
and the, and the command is given and the bowl is tipped and the, and the bowl is poured out. It says there's thunder and lightning and a great shaking of things. A kingdom that can be shaken, Papa Jack. You see, you and I live in a kingdom that can be shaken, but we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This man burned that into my soul as well. And when we pray, your kingdom come. See, I'm a great churchman. I love the church. But part of what he may do, he may tear down and restructure the church in a way that won't make me comfortable. But it'll answer my prayers. And I'll have to say, yes, Lord. And we saw that it was beautiful in your sight. And we said, you do all things well. And so Stephen, they said of him, he's going he's gonna to tear down the temple and ruin our customs. You know what Stephen does? He takes <coughs> their history. And he begins to chronicle the history of these great people. And he stops at some notable places. And every place he stops, he stops at a time when God manifested himself, spoke to his people, moved in their lives, did great things. And over and over, they're taking note of the fact that he's saying he did these things outside the temple. And by the time he's done with his speech, in verse 44 of chapter 7, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nation so that God drove them out before our fathers. So it was until the day of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. And then he says in verse 48, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands as the prophet says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? <laughs> or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? Don't miss it. Don't miss it, what he says to them next. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. When, when you have now betrayed and murdered whom you received the law as was delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he was full of the Holy Spirit and gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, the heavens are opened and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. But they cried with a loud voice, stopping their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen. They called to the Lord, Receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. Now, get it. Get it. The conclusion of his speech is, oh, you, so you think God is limited to your house. Let me tell you what your word says. 
Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Let me see you build that. And he mocked them with the word of God. And they tore their robes and they cast him off. And they cast him at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they put this man to death to silence him. Jesus had said, the greater than the temple is here. I'll destroy this body, destroy this temple three days. I'll raise it up again. They killed him. His servant was quoting Jesus, teaching what Jesus said. And they said, he's speaking against the law. He's speaking against our customs. And they killed him. And they threw their coats at the feet of one Saul. And immediately we are introduced to Saul, who was in harmony with all this. And he said, we've got what we wanted now. We've got blood. We've got precedent. Precedent in law means we can repeat this. We can go do this. We can do this everywhere. Give me papers. I'll go do this everywhere. And Saul goes out breathing fire because he's spoken against their their, their traditions. He's spoken against the law. And zeal for God is consuming him. Let me tell you something about the rabbis of those days if you don't know this. Uh, Charismatics think they're the first people that ever had throne room experiences. First of all, they're all through the Bible. But second of all, the rabbis the, the, of, of Jesus' time, some of them were very spiritual men. And they believed that by meditating on the Psalms of the Ascents, that they could actually meditate their way and be lifted up and taken into the heavens and find themselves in the presence of God. And they longed to do it. I have no trouble seeing Saul. And I'm doing a little suppositional preaching here. But I have no problem seeing Saul as he's traveling, headed for Damascus, worshiping the Lord that he's going to defend. Worshiping the presence of God and seeking himself as he's on his journey, like you praying in your car, him praying in his journey and seeking to be elevated into the heavenly places. And suddenly he's he's enveloped in a great light. Every time in the Bible that someone is enveloped in a light like this, they're having a heaven on earth experience. Oh, they might be taken out of this realm, but they're in this realm as well. And he's having an experience and he's hearing a voice. And I want you to suppose something that you may not have considered before when you saw this text. That he literally believed that he had achieved his goal of seeking God and finding himself in the presence of God, meaning the throne room and hearing a voice and saying, who are you? And looking and hearing that the one who sat on the throne was Jesus. Irony of irony. And he's blind. And he's helpless. And he's transformed. So completely transformed. I hope I haven't lost you. I hope you'll bear with me a little longer. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Ananias is is every man's favorite character in the Bible. Because listen... 
Ananias is the proof that you don't have to be a somebody. You can be an anybody. And God can give you an assignment that will change history. Ananias, hear my Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight into the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. He has seen a vision. A man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man. This is Samuel being told to get his horn of oil and saying, Saul's guys will catch me. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen servant of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Johnny Buckner. Why do I take you there? Because Saul of Tarsus went from there and went city to city and declared the kingdom of God. And everywhere he went, he suffered. Everywhere he went, he was rejected. But among the things that he taught them was this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? Where did he get that? From the man he stoned. Wow. Where did he get that? From Jesus of Nazareth. Nobody was teaching temple theology. All the obsessions. I want you to know something about Christianity if you don't know it. It's the only world religion without a temple. I saw coming down out of heaven. was four square meaning it was cubicle in shape there's only one other cube in the whole bible the holy of holies the unveiled presence of god and when you read about that temple Oh, you'll hear about gates and walls. But when you read it and understand it, it's a house of God and it's made out of people. When Jesus told his disciples he was going to his father to make a place for them, I want you to understand something. Jesus has not been in heaven building mansions of glory for you. He's been from heaven building you into a mansion of glory for himself. 
house that will fit together. Okay, I'm done finally. I really am. I'm giving you temple theology. So what? Young man, I won't pick on the girls on this. Why does it matter how you act? Paul, when he was talking to them, you do understand that Paul was a pastor and the people in his churches were acting uh, badly. And he turned and reasoned with them. He said, don't you know that your body's the temple of God? Don't you know that you're his dwelling place? And he actually believed that the logic of that question would lead the listener to change. And it will. It will. Do you know when Jesus came into me? Do you know what? Nobody had to tell me, go clean up your mess. I didn't have to work 12 steps to figure out that I had made a mess and I needed to get it cleaned up. I didn't have to take years getting to step five where I'd go and own my stuff and apologize to people. I knew immediately when Jesus came into my life that I had some work to do. But that's for another day also. Why would I tell you this story? And that's where we'll transition for a minute. We haven't come this far to come this far. And if nothing changes, nothing changes. Johnny, you and I are constantly exhorting people from a public place to change. And God is saying, change. I'm now, for the second time this year, gone five weeks out of the last seven from my church. 18 years of being their pastor, I've never done that once. Well, I did do it once. I took a small, no, I took a month-long trip. Well, why did I do it? Because I finally said, they don't need me. They need him. And these guys carry him just fine. There's oil in the lamps. There's light in the house. Our great president has just died. I remember when he talked about a thousand points of light. And it inspired us. You are the light of the world. Your pastor has seen a vision of Ezekiel for our day. A temple made without hands, stretching from Jacksonville to Los Angeles. A great band of light across one nation where people could be quickened by the Holy Spirit. Is this vision of God? We literally have come here to ask ourselves, 
Is it? Is this God speaking to us? Are we to rise up? If nothing changes, nothing changes. Are we to rise up? Are we to take our place? Are we to feel the heat of the battle? Smell the smoke? Are we to choke on blood? I think the Bible says yes. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you a minute and then um, let's um, have a time of talking to each other for a few minutes and then we'll close with worship, right? Would that be okay? And here, here's what I meant to say if I didn't say it. Since I wasn't going to take a break, anybody who needs to go to the bathroom, go when you need to and come back. Or if you just hate me that bad, you can sneak out and tell your pastor don't ever ask him to come here again. And, and that'll be all right. Deborah took her sword. So listen, when we do Q&A, here's one thing. These men have not endorsed my strange ramblings. They've released me to give them. So, so debating over the points that I've made is not going to be the point at all. But discussing what the Lord would have us to do is the point. Let's stand and let's pray a minute. I'm going to drink this water that was brought to me. Holy Father, fill your temple with glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Lord, how long I cried, how long I cried that you would touch me just... And you did. And you have, and you do. And I ask you, Lord, in the same way that you have answered my prayers, answer their prayers. Answer their prayers. Hear them when they cry, Lord. Hear them. Hear the longing of their heart. Hear them when they say, How long, Lord? How long must I wait? Hear them, Lord, when they say, Lord, would you not today come and touch me in a way that I've never been touched before? I know we're going to end worshiping. Um, 
decide? Do you have instructions for us, or you want me just to do it? Papa Jack, would you come help me? Because I've made a mess. I don't know if even, I don't know if even my father can clean up my mess. Would you be seated? And, and, and Johnny, come up here. We'll, we'll dialogue a few minutes, and then, and then we'll close with worship. If you, listen, I, I plead with you. If you do leave to, to go to the bathroom, do come back. <coughs> you got a word? Yeah, I Chairs? <laughs> yeah, put, put Pop up there on a chair. Me and Johnny will be just fine. Papa Jack, speak something to him. I don't think you've ever heard me preach, have you, Pop? I don't think you heard me preach then. You just I'm heard, heard me you say everything that. I thought. Huh? I haven't heard you preach that. You've just heard a summation of all the reality that exists. You want this down? Did you hear it? You've just heard a summation of all the reality that exists. Everything outside what was said tonight is nothing. What you've heard is all that matters. And if this doesn't matter, nothing matters. So you've just heard the summation of all the reality there is. I don't know where you live. I don't know what you do. But if you're not inside this, you're nowhere. You're nowhere. And so... Get into reality, and repentance is the only thing that will get us there. Continued repentance keeps us there. So, uh, Can I ask the first question? Yeah. Since I've asked all the questions so far, um, Father of the house, what do you want? And what, what immediate steps? When I say what do you want, I'm saying what, what is God placed in you that the people can clearly understand? Because I've spoken in big pictures. And what would we do next? I think in my heart, I wish that all of us would realize the interconnectedness that we have in the kingdom and our 
the place that we have together in it and to be able to honor one another in it and learn to flow in that. And I think there's a unique place that New Horizons Christian Fellowship has in that. They can't see in the back. Okay. All right. And um, I feel like that there's been affirmation by spiritual father and elder brother in that. And that God is calling us at New Horizons to rise up in a fresh new way. And I think he's requiring a contribution from us. And a sacrifice from us. But it's, uh, it's the contribution is to get us across the ditch. That the promised land's on the other side that's flowing with milk and honey. So there's a bit of a sacrifice there. I feel called to sacrifice in that. I feel called to step out, to rise up and step out. I don't know what it looks like because I've been praying for the Lord to take me where I've never been before. Yes. <clears throat> that is the thing. Yep. And <clears throat> I'm sorry I'm calling you out, but I got to <laughs> Virgil and Jan. We've walked with each other. Years. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Because I don't know. Wave at us. Okay. People do. Hallelujah. They're dear to me. I've seen God do a lot of things in the past. My brothers, Ed and Donald, were sitting in the back. We've seen God do some things. I hear Bob, Tricia. I don't know where, I don't know what it looks like, but I know that, that He's got us. There's something fresh and new that He. It's doing in us, and, and it's affecting, it's going to affect Stark. No, it has already affected Starkville. It's already affected the body of Christ in the city, and it's already spilling over to the nations, but it, we're still just seeing mercy drops. And uh, I don't want to go back to where we were. He's calling us up to the next level. You're representing something in that to me, Virgil and Jan. And I don't even know what I'm talking about. It's okay, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's got to be. Because it's the truth. But I, I, need, I need you. I need every, I need every one of you. And we need each other. And I don't want to go without you. I think, we're, I think God is pulling us together. And we're finding an affirmation of, of Papa Jack and Uncle Alan. Mama Frida. Yes, please. Please, please, please. You might, you might have to get another microphone. Or give us one of those. Give us one of the stationary ones to pass between us. and, and uh, Just those words, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So tonight, if we don't change, 
if we leave here the same as we came in, if we don't make a change, whatever that looks like, things will stay the same. So nothing changes unless we change. And it has to start with us first. And I've got this burning in my heart that, yes, there's so many out there dying and lost. But if we don't encounter God first for ourselves, and if we don't clean up our mess ourselves, and if we don't get holy before a holy God, then we can't change what needs to change out there. Deborah has roared. <laughs> Deborah has roared. Okay. I have this much light, really no more. Paul said, I die daily. All of us here need to catch up on our dying. We let some things come alive. Some ideas about ourselves, some ideas about God, some ideas about how little importance we are or too much importance. If you'll start asking God, you won't have to guess. Just start guessing. Paul said, I die daily. I think Paul spent his life kissing the cross until he had splinters in his lips. It's not only where Christ died for you, it's where you died with him. Yeah, one of the things that's missing in charismatic renewal, the, where I flow most commonly, is a, is a doctrine of suffering. Yeah. And an understanding of the, of the sacred call of suffering. You, you really won't have gospel. to worry about it if you'll accept it. God's people will really help you. <laughs> yeah. You just what, show yourself affable to suffering. One of the things you guys have inspired in us, our church was born in prayer. And I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that the river of prayer in my church, because we had learned how to do so many things well. And I, can I tell you that when you learn how to do a bunch of stuff well, you, you're, the stuff that got you where you got, can sometimes dry up, and, and prayer is never one of those things that needs to go away. And prayer had, had become a, a part of our conversation, but not a part of our priority life. And our connection, our reconnection with New Horizons, our, our connection with you has renewed the river of prayer in our church. And um, we're not to monthly yet, but we're to bi-monthly uh, prayer burns. And you did this. You did this. Give yourself a hand. You did this. Uh, you did this. And we're, and we're learning, again, the value of you don't have to have a full auditorium. You just come up here and minister to the Lord. That's right. Just what it is to minister to the Lord and truly worship Him in the Spirit. Also, this house... You are so amazingly anointed with worship, but I gave you that hard word because it's God, it's not worship. Yeah. But, but the anointing that's upon you for worship, I, you guys, if you don't understand it, you guys, have, you, you guys have worship in this house 
that houses of 2,000 and 3,000 don't have. And it's an anointing of excellence that's on you. And listen, it's going to spread. It's, it's going to spread. And I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what it'll do um, in and for you, but through you, it's just going to increase. And, and you know in the natural flow of life, people grow up and go on. This thing's going to spread. But God has given you this. Cherish it. Give him thanks for it. Honor him for it. And, and, uh, and, and don't hesitate to enter into it. I think it's so valuable that we're going to finish there tonight. I think it was so precious that I got an opportunity to prepare for the worship. You know how... That's right. <laughs> you gave me the opportunity to prepare the house right. for worship. You are the temple of God. If there's any questions, we'll take them.